Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, and as we do every week, we're coming at you with a podcast and a Facebook Live where we give you an opportunity to talk about the issues, events, organizations, but specifically through the lens of the Green Party and our commitment to peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. Uh, this program is open lines, which means we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. So if you'd like to join the conversation and you're listening live or watching live on Facebook, just drop a comment into the links and executive producer Michael O'Neill will be harvesting those, feeding them to me, and we can talk about anything that you want to talk about. I will let you know that one thing that I am going to make sure we talk about is Brett Kavanaugh and his effort to get on the U.S. Supreme Court. Love to hear other people's thoughts or questions that you may have of me or executive producer Michael O'Neill. I also want to just put out there, it would be an interesting conversation to talk about Michael Moore's newest film, Fahrenheit 11.9, obviously a play on Fahrenheit 9-11, uh, this one is getting a lot of attention, at least on my circles. I also, if folks want to, I challenge us to have a conversation on capitalism itself. Specifically, can capitalism be reformed? And I will drop, ask Michael O'Neill to drop into the comments link uh, to something in The Guardian that I found profoundly uh, interesting and provocative, and that is a piece from Paul Mason called Capitalism is Failing and It's Time to Panic. So those are just three things that I think might be worth talking about. But again, I'll encourage folks, if you'd like to talk about something else or if you've got a comment or a question, now is your time to shine. Remember that here on A Green Way Forward, we look at any issue, any organization, any person, but do our best to apply it through the lens of the International Green Party's commitment to peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. And it's with that in mind that I want to turn my attention specifically to Brett Kavanaugh uh, and his effort uh, to get on the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, I think it's important that we recognize that uh, the, uh, the, the corporate agenda that Brett Kavanaugh uh, represents is absolutely horrific. Uh, we know for a fact uh, that even already through the nomination hearings, we've learned that, number one, he lied to the Senate Judiciary Committee regarding his involvement in the nomination of Charles Pickering for the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, during the Bush era. Uh, Pickering was greatly controversial due to his negative record regarding civil rights. So this is an objective truth that has been learned. Objective truth number two, we have learned that he wants to end the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to control carbon emissions. We know, of course, that's the only federal agents, agency that's currently taking steps to curb what is, without doubt, runaway catastrophic climate change. Again, that's objective fact number two that is not in dispute. Objective fact number three we learned from those nomination hearings Brett Kavanaugh protected Chevron from being held accountable for its role in carbon pollution as an appellate judge. Objective fact number four, Kavanaugh's settled law answer when asked about his stance on Roe versus Wade, coupled with his already existing record, suggests that he is completely down with taking away a woman's right to privacy, power over her own body, uh, and to strip and abolish 
a woman's right to bodily integrity, uh, which is to say overturning uh, Roe versus Wade. Those are four things that happened without doubt during the nomination proceedings that happened before the very first allegation was publicly known about uh, his uh, at the allegation that he is a would be rapist. And I really want to underscore uh, in this light of the Me Too movement, how incredibly serious this is. I don't know about the rest of you, uh, men and women alike, but the Me Too movement, which exploded on the scene, has thankfully begun a deep and serious conversation about rape culture, a conversation very much needed uh, about how rape is not an act merely of sex, but of domination and power over and abuse. And the reality is that Brett Kavanaugh has not only uh, been accused of one uh, allegation, but another allegation has just come forward. So, you know, for my way of thinking, uh, I am just astounded uh, that Brett Kavanaugh has doubled down uh, and has made a claim uh, that he will not uh, step aside, that he is still seeking a, a confirmation to be on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, we know that Deborah Ramirez, a Yale University classmate of the judge, uh, recently told The New Yorker that uh, Brett Kavanaugh exposed his genitals to her at a dormitory party. Uh, we know that uh, he earlier, the earlier allegation from Professor Christine Ford came uh, last week alleging that Brett Kavanaugh had sexually assaulted her in the early 1980s, just before he got to college. So these are the things that have begun to surface about this person. We also know that there are allegations, that there are other allegations that might come forward. I am very happy to uh, to have learned that uh, Professor Ford has agreed to testify before the Senate committee this Thursday, which is just uh, in three or four days. We don't know if Deborah Ramirez is going to testify. I also think it's worth uh, pointing out that Senator Dianne Feinstein, who's the top Democrat on the committee, uh, apparently had this information from before. So this is, to my way of thinking, yet another example of how the Democrats and the Republicans alike are playing games while the Green Party uh, and independents and principled people everywhere are actually stepping up uh, and trying to build a movement. And the allegation against uh, Kavanaugh uh, by Ms. Ramirez, the most recent one, says that it occurs when she was a freshman at Yale alongside uh, Judge Kavanaugh. She says they were both taking part in a drinking game at a dormitory party where people sat in a circle and selected others to drink. Now, I think it's also worth doubling down and going hard on this idea that because neither Professor Ford or Ms. Ramirez reported immediately that the uh, allegation should be discounted. That's profoundly stupid. It is wrong. Uh, there is a huge history uh, and and science uh, and a body of knowledge about why people don't report allegations uh, of assault and allegations of sexual misconduct. And friends, that is an example of how the the rape culture actually persists. And to turn this around on 
uh, either Professor Ford or Deborah Ramirez is part of the problem. Uh, so, you know, to me, uh, I would love to hear what other people think uh, about uh, Brett Kavanaugh uh, on this program. We'll take your comments and questions as they come in. But I'll also tell you this. I think it is really worth noting that at least in my social media world, it is only men who are even remotely uh, attempting to defend Brett Kavanaugh in this instance. And I think that's actually quite telling. I am not defending him at all. Uh, in fact, uh, I think it, the, the body of evidence of co- that is coming in about why Brett Kavanaugh should not be uh, on the Supreme Court is not merely limited uh, to the allegations of sexual misconduct. Uh, it, they, those allegations alone are plenty, obviously, to keep him off. But I will take this opportunity to circle back and say, objectively, We know and it was proven that he lied about his role in the nomination of incredibly controversial uh, uh, Judge Pickering to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals during uh, the Bush era. We know that uh, Kavanaugh, on his own testimony, has called to end the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, which is the only federal agency that is in a position to take steps to curb the global climate crisis. We know that Kavanaugh as a judge uh, refused to allow Chevron to be held accountable for its role in a carbon pollution in a series of cases that were before him. And we know that uh, his answers in Roe versus Wade leaves him wide open to the possibility uh, that he would overturn a woman's right to choose a woman's right to bodily integrity over her own body. So again, For my way of thinking, there are four reasons that he should never have been confirmed in the first place. And let it sink in that the Democrats uh, on that committee were not standing up to him on the basis of those four alone. So now we add the last fifth allegation that he is a would-be rapist. uh, And it's clear to me uh, that Kavanaugh and his uh, right-wing agenda should be uh, rejected uh, should not be confirmed uh, on the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, and his appointment would lend power to Donald Trump that would extend far beyond his presidency. So uh, if anybody has any thoughts specifically around uh, uh, around the this appointment, I would invite you uh, to write in with them. Uh, otherwise, we'll go uh, immediately now to the next topic, which is Fahrenheit uh, 11.9. Now, I have to acknowledge and admit that I have not actually seen the film, but I did read an essay from Common Dreams, uh, and I'm going to invite Michael O'Neill, executive producer, who has seen the film, to step in and help us frame that film. Michael O'Neill, what do you think? Thanks, David. Um, yeah, I you know that's the first Michael Moore film, I think, I've seen in theater since Bowling for Columbine. And, well, first of all, um, he doesn't blame Jill Stein for the election of Trump. So that's a plus in my mind, coming from my, uh, you know, my personal experience. Uh, actually, he never mentions that, you know, Jill or the Green Party at all in the movie. Um, the thesis of the movie, right, the, the underpinning question is, how did Trump happen? How in the world did this happen? And it goes into a deep dive into, you know, some of the very petty motivations that Trump had for running for office to begin with. 
and it goes into, for the most part, uh, more lays the the blame for the rise of Trump on the media networks that empowered him and enabled him because he was good for their ratings, and also uh, the you know Democratic Party for just being so dismal and so compromised and so you know drenched in corporate money as to have had you know eight years of of disillusionment and and despair under the Obama administration, um, causing a mass demobilization. So I think that the, it's, it's also important to mention that I think Michael Moore really wanted to make a movie about the poisoning of the water in Flint, Michigan. And he maybe thought that he'd get more people to see his movie. If, uh, if a mini movie about the poisoning of Flint was inserted into a movie about Donald Trump, um, which is, you know, a noble goal, even if it does make for some, uh, messy, uh, filmmaking. But while, you know, more, while he castigates the Democratic Party for being undemocratic in, in its primary and for being, and for its leadership being in hoc to corporations and the 1%, um, at the end of the day, he's just, driving people to vote for progressive Democrats. And so he's got a couple, you know, shining lights from this year, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the movie. Of course, he he doesn't mention that Ocasio-Cortez just endorsed the corrupt Governor Cuomo here in New York State. So- oh, Michael, let me ask, though, since you're in New York State, what what concession did uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez extract from Mario Cuomo before giving up that valuable endorsement and apparently at least the idea that uh, other left uh, progressive Democrats uh, would support him. What, what did she at least get out of that? Absolutely nothing. And that can't be true, Michael. It's absolutely true. So you're telling me that she, uh, that, Alexandria Arcasio Octavia Cortez endorsed Mario Cuomo without hit without getting him to make a pledge on single payer in New York without a call for raising the minimum wage to a true living wage you did something on the global climate crisis she literally got nothing for that endorsement the only thing that anyone has asked Cuomo for is Cynthia Nixon has demanded that Cuomo apologize for the uh, mailing that he sent out accusing her of being uh, the the terrible crime of a BDS supporter and uh, and, and also wow. you know anti-semitic smears you know in connection to that um, the only th- and so she said that she will not endorse Cuomo unless he apologizes for that mailing went out um, I've joked that if if uh, Andrew Cuomo sent out a mailing, saying that Howie Hawkins was a supporter of BDS, uh, I would feel obligated to report that as an in-kind contribution to our campaign. Um, <laughs> of course, you know, we would, you know, I vehemently deny that uh, supporting boycott, divestment, and sanctions from the state of Israel on the issue of Palestine is in any way anti-Semitic. But in terms of supporting BDS, yeah, we support BDS. Um so anyway, uh, yeah, so, so you know, there's nothing in Moore's movie about ranked choice voting or proportional representation or, you know, any or, or, you know, clean money, clean politics initiatives that would 
enable uh, political voices, whether it's green or independent or otherwise, to to rise up and challenge the duopoly parties. And that's not a surprise because, you know, more famously has written Ralph Don't Run articles, right, in, in, you know, different years since 2000. And, you know, since the 2000 election, he's been, uh, you know, very much a scold against third party and independent politics action. Folks, you're watching and or listening to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. The voice that you hear is executive producer Michael O'Neill. Uh, we're a, at the moment talking about Fahrenheit 9-11. Uh, Fahrenheit 11-9. 11-9, pardon me. Fahrenheit 11-9, which, of course, is the, the night that uh, Donald Trump allegedly was elected president. Because let's remember, we never actually had the recounts that we actually needed and examined the, forensically the software and those electronic machines. So, frankly, I have no confidence in the reported results. So I'll just say he, the night that he was allegedly uh, elected. What we do know, though, is that in the film Fahrenheit 11.9, Michael Moore does go into great detail about describing the conditions that created Donald Trump. And one of the things that I think is worth lifting up is the unflinching analysis around neoliberalism and the role that Bill Clinton as president and Hillary Clinton as part of that administration and the, the role of the Democratic Leadership Council uh, played in basically taking the Democratic Party full on in to Wall Street America and the the big banks and big corporations and their donors. Michael O'Neill, did you at least come away with that? And Bill Clinton has long been a target of Michael Moore. I remember Michael Moore had a series on television actually in the 90s called TV Nation. And I remember uh, a whole series that um, that Moore did within that about um, Clinton's attack on on welfare and and all of the um, the supposedly new jobs you know that had been created under the Clinton administration. So yes, he he goes he goes after neoliberalism and he goes after the Democratic Party as a wing of neoliberalism and and just the. It's heartbreaking because you you see residents of Flint, Michigan cheering in the streets when Barack Obama finally came to Flint because they were begging for federal action to override the actions of Governor Snyder and the state and local government that had basically conspired to uh, create the poisoning of Flint. And then when President Obama finally shows up, he basically sells them out. He he drinks a, a cup of water from there in Flint to demonstrate that you know the water's fine, and that this isn't really such a big deal, and and really undermining the alarm bells that people were ringing that this was an ongoing and immediate crisis, and that that is just sort of one in a whole constellation of examples of the Democrats selling out the the working people and the poor folks in the Midwest and other parts of the country, which had been reliably blue states, but did not vote for Hillary Clinton in this election. And he also takes time to point out just the, the incompetence and arrogance of the Hillary Clinton campaign in general. Right. Which of course uh, is all uh, fair fodder. And I think it's also really worth pointing out the reason that I wanted 
on a program like A Green Way Forward to talk about Michael Moore and Fahrenheit 11.9 is that there, this is a complicated issue. As you know, Michael, I actually believe that it's critically important that we build genuine independent political demands. Now, I work with progressive Democrats all the time. I think they're making a mistake. I don't think that it's possible to actually take over the Democratic Party apparatus and do anything positive or productive uh, with it. However, I'm not going to make them my enemy. I'm trying to win them over. And it's been my lived experience as an organizer that you don't win people over by insulting them or yelling at them. You win them over by talking to them, showing that you're willing to listen uh, and trying to be respectful and finding some common ground. Because I'll tell you, one thing that I've learned through life is this. If I go into any conversation looking for disagreement, that's what I'm likely to find. If I go into a conversation looking for agreement, that's what I'm likely to find. Now, I believe this. If I find somebody with whom I can agree 90 to 95% uh, of the things on, then I'd like to spend 90 to 95% of my time with them trying to figure out how we can collaborate, what can we do together, and 5 to 10% of our time honing our differences. One thing that I think uh, that the left has done, which is a profound mistake, is as soon as we find any disagreement, we spend all of our time in disagreement. So I'm going to... Uh, uh, really underscore, I haven't yet seen Fahrenheit 11.9. I'm going to go see it, but I'm going to go see it with uh, a willingness to see where do I agree with Michael Moore? Where do I disagree? And I'm going to try to have the kind of conversations that Michael O'Neill and I are having right now with people that are coming out of the theater. And actually, I'm going to try to actually uh, set up a little uh, ironing board table and register people into the Green Party right outside. What are your thoughts, Michael O'Neill, or anybody who is listening here on a green way forward? If you're uh, watching us live, drop something in the comments and Michael O'Neill will capture those and feed them along. Well, LaDonna mentioned in the comments that Barack Obama, when he visited Flint, he sort of pantomimes that he was drinking the water. But if you look very closely, he didn't actually drink any of the water. He just kind (laughs) of wet his lips. And so thank you for that point, LaDonna. And, uh, I, yeah, you bring up a lot of great points and, and, you know, Michael Moore is a master filmmaker and he is a master at, you know, at, at using a movie to expose information that, you know, maybe we all were kind of aware of in the background, but he really underscores it and underlines it in a way that can be funny and enraging and saddening all at once. Uh, he, uh, talks about how, um, all of the uh, of the male newscasters and talking heads who were critical of Hillary Clinton have have had sexual misconduct allegations uh, levied against them and have have been you know fired from their jobs or suspended from their jobs because of that. And I think that's a really important uh, uh, that's a really important comparison to make. Not that I'm a fan of of Hillary Rodham Clinton, but absolutely she some of the criticism that she faced and and some of the um hostility she faced in the media was a a result of that she is a was a woman running for president um and yeah if you look at Bill O'Reilly and Matt Lauer and um Charlie Rose and and in Les Moonves as the director of a network you had all these men in the media who since the election we have found to have been 
sexual predators. And right. I'm glad he made that point. Um, and there's other aspects of the movie in terms of comparing Trump to Hitler that I think are, are more problematic. And, uh, you know, if anyone else is looking to, to read up more about the movie, Glenn Greenwald has a good piece that we've linked to in our description for the show. And I think it, I think to compare Trump to Hitler, it's a misdiagnosis. Like the problem isn't that he's quote, not as bad as Hitler. It's that you're misdiagnosing the problem. And then that means you're maybe not going to have the right course of treatment. That, in fact, I'm so glad you said that, Michael, because this focus on Trump as if Trump is the problem uh, is really like misunderstanding the pathology associated with neoliberalism that created the context for somebody uh, like Donald Trump. I, I'll be honest. I did not think that there was any way that Donald Trump could could be elected. But then again, I miss uh, uh, I did not properly consider just how atrocious Hillary Clinton would be uh, as a nominee. But again, I was proud for the, of the work that I did uh, for Jill Stein with you, Michael O'Neill, and thousands of other people who invested our blood, sweat, and tears into a Green Party campaign to try to actually build an absolute alternative. But the reality of personalizing Trump uh, the idea of isolating Trump as the principal problem, as the source of political evil, evil is not just confusing. I actually think it's deceitful. I think that it's, uh, and that's what I think Michael Moore does do is to actually begin an analysis around the problem is neoliberal politicians. The problem are corporate Democrats. Now, like you, Michael O'Neill, I believe that Michael O'Neill makes a mistake by implying that the solution, though, is to elect a Democrat so it won't be as bad. That no, my, folks. You, that Michael Moore made a mistake. You said Michael O'Neill made a mistake. Oh, I beg your pardon. Right. That Michael Moore Too many Michaels. Uh, made a mistake by that. Uh, but the point is this, friends. The solution to the, the, the neoliberalism that created the conditions for the proto-fascism that Donald Trump represents the actual solution is an independent electoral expression, an independent political movement that stands for peace, justice, democracy, ecology. It has to be explicitly anti-capitalist or post-capitalist, if you will. It has to actually call for restructuring society. And how about that? Peace, justice, democracy, and ecology, a call to restructure society, literally is the, the, the solution that the Green Party offers. So it may not be the Green Party, but rest assured there's going to have to be an electoral expression that is actually willing to make the break with the corporatist Democrats. And before we go, I do want to acknowledge that there were several comments that came in that Michael fed me that I did not see, so I want to apologize to folks and just take this opportunity to say thank you to Cass, who wrote in to say our Supreme Court has become so politicized. What is the process for making them elected officials? So, Cass, the answer is you would have to either amend the Constitution or what I'd like to do, let's rewrite the whole damn thing. See, I think that part of the problem is that the U.S. Constitution, the supreme law of the land, is not a democratic 
uh, document. It's actually a property rights document literally designed to allow the ruling elite to rule and allow the 5% at the time rather than just the 1% to actually lord it over everybody. So I'm a straight up revolutionary. I'd actually like to rewrite that governing document so we center human rights and get this, the rights of nature and deep ecology into our uh, into our principal governing document. Uh, Guillaume had written in to say, it seems like deficit spending would be required to implement the transition to 100% clean energy and a federal job guarantee. Do you support deficit spending to pay for federal programs? Or alternatively, will you resort to increasing taxes to fund social programs? If so, then why? A disguised MMT question, which I'll take head on and say, I absolutely support taxing the rich because taxation should be part of the redistribution of wealth uh, in this society. I don't like at the same time, I have no problem with deficit spending, but I'm also an anti-capitalist. And I think that the MMT approach is a way to think that we can somehow let the bankers stay in charge, not democratize the money supply and still uh, somehow have the green new deal. I actually don't think that that's possible. But uh, others might. I do know that there are there is a debate, uh, pretty small, quite frankly. But there are some people within the Green Party who support MMT. But currently, uh, our platform uh, is one based on democratizing uh, the money supply. Uh, Kathy wrote in to say it seems like Kavanaugh was promised this seat on the court. You know, Kathy, I think you make a good point. That may, in fact, be true. Uh, I do know that uh, his record is atrocious. Uh, and an atrocious record is something that a corporatist like Donald Trump uh, uh, would have had no problem with. Uh, the final uh, comment was Giovanna, who wrote in to say that I believe there are now three allegations against Brett uh, Kavanaugh, but a- accusations do not prove guilt. We learn that from heresy trials and witch hunts. Thus, we have due process. The vote on his nomination must be postponed so investigation can be done, so a trial can be held, as if he can be found guilty, then he should be disqualified. Well, it looks like uh, it, the nomination process has been slowed down at least enough uh, for Professor Ford uh, to provide testimony. I don't know what is going to happen with Ramirez. Uh, her testimony just uh, was just uh, literally today or yesterday was the first. Uh, I think today was the first I heard about it. Uh, and I don't know about a, yet a third allegation. But again, from my way of thinking, the objective four reasons that I laid out before that we found out during the nomination was plenty of reason uh, not to uh, uh, not to nominate or not to confirm him. Uh, so, Michael O'Neill, I want to give you uh, any final thoughts uh, here on our program, A Green Way Forward. Thanks, David. I think it's always worth pointing out that, you know, Roe v. Wade was 45 years ago and that we are still relying on this precarious balance of power in the Supreme Court to keep abortion safe and legal throughout the country. And in reality, in many parts of the country, it is it is effectively banned. And that, you know, long ago, this needed to be put into law, either as an as an amendment or through other legislation. Uh, But that that you're using the Supreme Court to kind of legislate uh, doctrine is has been a failure of the liberal class. 
because it 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 keeps these essential rights in such a precarious state for so long that can be changed with the death or retirement of one or two people. Also, the Supreme Court, for most of our country's history, has been a profoundly reactionary body. And so it is a really bad idea to leave some of our hard-won freedoms in the hands of the Supreme Court. And it's just you know one of, of many failures on the part of the liberal class and Democratic Party in, in leaving a lot of, of battles um, unfinished. So well said, Michael. I'll tell you, as a as a radical lawyer myself, I have often pointed out that even the civil rights uh, victories uh, that were uh, won in that that small little brief moment when the Supreme Court was not merely a reactionary court, even then the legal hook uh, had been on the Fourteenth Amendment Commerce Clause, not on the First Amendment or the Fifth Amendment or any of the other human rights amendment. It was literally just around equal protection of the Commerce Clause. I think that's, you make a very important point. And for folks who are interested, I'm going to make a pledge right now that on a green way forward, we're going to do a show on whether or not the U.S. Constitution can be democratic or whether we should restructure the whole thing. I'll bring in some constitutional scholars uh, and we'll go deep on that because I do believe that this program should be a place where we debate ideas and first principle ideas. Please make sure to share this podcast with your friends and families. You can find this podcast on uh, I know many of the different platforms and uh, of which you can find podcasts, but you can always just write us at a greenwayforward.org and ask for it and we'll put you on the list. And that is the last thing that I'll ask you to do. Go to that website, a greenwayforward.org and sign up so you can get a copy of the podcast so that you'll find out about upcoming guests. And I will conclude with this. Our guest next week, will be Howie Hawkins, who is running for governor in the state of New York, taking on the corporate stooge and toady uh, Cuomo. And with that, I wish you a good night. Thanks for all you're doing. Keep on keeping on. Peace. A Green Way Forward is produced by David Cobb and Michael O'Neill. Go to agreenwayforward.org for links to our podcast feed and iTunes subscription, plus more ways to listen. Our live stream is graciously hosted by the official Dr. Jill Stein Facebook page on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The music for this episode is Keep Sit Real by Player 2, available under a Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive.